back, everybody, to our anime show. Uh, I am host number one, Binge Monster. And I'll be reading for host number two, a green queen. And, and, and you know, host number one, it doesn't mean that I'm, I, I'm just, I'm just first to speak, okay? That's all I mean. <laughs> I'll be I... host zero, I don't care. <laughs> as long as I'm first. As long... <laughs> oh, damn it, that's not what I meant. <laughs> um... We have quite an interesting uh, episode ahead. I think it's going to be a little bit different than some of the stuff we've done before. Uh, right? Don't you think? I think so. Yeah. I think it'll be a little a little more meta than, than, than we typically dive into things. I mean, uh, let me say this. I'm particularly excited about today's episode because... And I don't know that I've actually articulated this to Allie, even though we... As she talks about, we have whole strategy sessions before we even start these podcasts to talk about the topic. But the antithesis of this episode came from a TikTok I was watching the other week where somebody asked the question, tell me why as an adult you watch anime. I don't get it. Why is a grown adult person watching anime? And I feel these questions often i hear them often and they infuriate me just the same every time i hear them and it really got me thinking i could just respond to this on tiktok i could create this whole paragraph that's too long to read no one's actually going to read it and make no impact on the topic or or i could find creative ways to combat this and you know i think uh today's topic even though that wasn't necessarily the whole goal with what we want to achieve here, I think it's it's relevant. So, uh, you know, in, in today's episode, our, our goal is to explore um, two films that Ali and I have watched over the past week that um, came out in the 80s during a time often people refer to as the golden era of anime. Um, lots of really amazing things came out in the 80s. There was a huge boom for anime in the decade, and these two films are widely known as really important films from this particular decade for completely different reasons. And hopefully we mix in a little bit of our answer to why anime is not just for kids and it is also for adults, as well as offer you, our listeners, just kind of a a new opportunity to learn a little bit more about anime um, and what as a medium, you know, what is really out there um, as we explore these two films, which likely I'm going to assume most of our listeners have either never heard of or or just watched because they're old and they're classics and um, probably have never heard of them. And, and, and you guys might have, and, and that, that'd be great. Um, but if you haven't, um, just a quick spoiler warning, we are gonna be talking about plot a lot on this on this particular podcast i think it's kind of important to contextualize the films and why you know why you should watch them so if this episode encouraged you to do so we you know would be thrilled if you went and watched these films if not you'll learn a little bit about these two films and uh hopefully you know at least my perspective on how this answers the question why (laughs) Why should uh, why is anime for adults? Why are grown people watching them? Um, as well, just kind of just learn something fun about them. But yeah, I think uh, as far as Ali and I are concerned, uh, we both watched these films in different orders, right? I watched um, mm-hmm. uh, one of the films. So the the two films we're going to cover are um, Angel's Egg and an Akira. And um, I watched Angel's Egg first, and then Akira, and Ali watched Akira first, Akira. and then Angel's Egg, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, very excited to talk about these. They're super different films. Super different films. But uh, how should we start? Uh, you want, Should we start with Akira first? Let's start there first, because um, I remember in the first meeting that we had about this we were like let's watch two two different video uh two different videos two different movies Mm. and you were like how about you watch uh akira and i was Mm -hmm. like oh great like i've for somehow i've heard of this movie right or i've seen that that image of the motorcycle the text and you know and then the guy walking up to it 
as I'm sure everyone listening has, or like, it, you know, if you're in the MS, et cetera, it, maybe a lot of people probably have. And I watched it almost immediately after we had that meeting because I just, I could, like, I just had time and I was like, oh, like, I, I gotta watch this, let me watch it. And then we spoke on the phone again and I was like, you know, chill, like, have you seen this movie? And he's like, you were like, oh, no, I haven't seen it yet. And I was like, all right, I think that um, maybe this, ep- like, we, we both at the same time were like, I think this episode would be better if we if we both have time to watch both movies. And, of course, we did. So that's so that's kind of how that started. Um, but Akira was so, uh, <laughs> I, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's like my first um, thoughts in it. It definitely starts off strong. Right? Like, it starts off and immediately I'm like, oh, so this has real-world context of some sort. You know? Because it starts off with the harrowing explosion and we can only, you know, uh, think that that's influenced by things that have happened in real historical life. And... I mean, I'll just I'll just go with, like, my first thoughts, I think. I don't even know how to structure. I have a lot of thoughts. Yeah. Um, I was really taken aback by the uh, animation. The animation was so smooth. And, like, every little part of them that moved and and worked. And I I was really surprised almost that it wasn't. It's, like, weird because I was, like, I can tell this is from the 80s. But I also can't believe it's from the 80s. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, the animation was so smooth. It was so, like eerily real world um but the whole vibe of it was like super interesting i'll say like it was like super like cool dude or like cool cool girl cool person where like you know it's like really rough and like all these people are like just tough kind of people and they're living in this like tokyo not tokyo place um so i was like instantly hooked because i was like oh this is this feels dystopian almost Right? And, like, that's so my vibe. I'm like, I want to be in a movie where I play just, like, a dystopian sort of, like, badass that runs the street. So I'm immediately into this movie. Um, and then it just starts to unravel in in such a mysterious way. And after it, I had to watch at least, like, ten videos of being like, can someone help me understand further what I just watched? <laughs> like, it gets so, so big. And... I felt like there was a real big switch for me where I was like, oh, there are elements I don't understand about this, right? Like, I don't understand why this child is blue. Like, I don't understand why all these things are happening to um, Tetsuo, right? Tetsuo? Mm-hmm. Tetsuo? And, Tetsuo, yeah. yeah. And, I, and then, like, I don't understand who's in the sky, who's here, who's there, what these powers are, what all of this means, why this is now happening to him once we start to, like, really, like, flicks a switch where I was like, oh, now this is, like, totally beyond me. This is totally beyond my comprehension right now. I'm just I'm just taking this in. Like, I'm no longer analyzing with it. I'm just taking this in. Of course, when Tetsuwa starts to, you know, become, become larger. It, it, really, Blah. that moment where he's at the chair at the very end, mm-hmm. right? He's, he's become the villain or, you know, the anti-villain where you kind of, like, I get why you're like this, but, like, taking it too far, bro. And then he starts to, you know, he puts his hand on the chair and then his hand starts to take over the chair and then it starts taking and taking and then it's taking everybody in the whole stadium. And that was the moment where I was like, you lost, like, not you lost me, but I'm just, I'm just taking the ride. I'm just in the car. I'm on the back of the motorcycle and I am only taking this in. I'm not analyzing. I'm not, I'm not judging, of course, like at all, but I am just a viewer <laughs> that was where the big switch happened for me yeah those are some of my thoughts i didn't even say the content i wanted to i was too excited to talk about it so akira came out right 1988 um japanese animated cyberpunk action film uh the the one-liner from imdb says that Akira is a secret military project in dangers Neo-Tokyo when it turns a biker gang member into a rampaging psychic psychopath who could only be stopped by a teenager, his gang of biker friends, and a group of psychics. That's all it says about it. 
And those are all my thoughts as of yet. What are your thoughts, Gio? I just want to set the stage for context for our listeners here to kind of just understand what was going on when this movie came out. And and this really speaks to the 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 conflict that I, I've been having uh, mm. that I mentioned at the top of the podcast with regards to the question, you know, why are grown adults watching anime? When when um, I was going to say when Cyberpunk came out, when Akira came out in 1988, it had a limited run in America in 1989 in the in the theaters. Um, and for its time, it did really well. It had a global box office run of, I think, like, 25 million, which was actually a pretty big deal for, for anime at the time. Huge, huge deal. Huge deal. And for context, like, when this came out in America, this is like when The Land Before Time and The Little Mermaid came out, right? Like, this is – these are the stories that were coming out in the form of a cartoon in America. And so juxtaposing those with Akira is just – <laughs> understandably culture clashing. Um, yeah, totally. You know, one one of the things that I, I, I was watching an analysis of Akira in preparation for this episode that I really appreciated is the comparison of the way that in the 80s, which, like, technology in general and the rise of technology in civilization was very fetishized in films. Like, if you look at Star Wars, for example, mm. and and Star Trek and all these these other things they were their stories that are grounded but um but are often uh uh influenced by a a massive um difference in the technologies that are available in these stories versus like what's real world possible at the time and one of the things that I thought was super cool and super interesting to note was that a lot of stories portrayed in America are often, um, including Star Wars, are often positioned where there's this great threat. Often technology is playing a role in enabling this threat to exist, such as, for example, the Death Star in Star Wars that could obliterate planets. And the story is about how how they stop it from happening. So all of the heroes and all of the characters exist to prevent it. It happens at the last moment, but they succeed. And in Akira, that doesn't happen. There are nuclear explosion-like explosions. <laughs> uh, you were alluding to this earlier, so I'm just going to come mm-hmm. out and say it. It was obviously influenced by the effect that the Japanese had... Sorry, the the effect the Japanese felt from historical context of of the nuclear bombs being dropped on Hiroshima and, and Nagasaki, mm-hmm. it happened three times in the in the Akira uh, franchise, um, and and so needless to say, that really got me to think about some of the differences between cartoons and and anime, and really quickly. One of the things that I that we're definitely going to talk about are these heavy themes in Akira, and and when we talk about Angel's Egg, definitely, it's like mm-hmm. super uh, nuanced, and uh, you know, there's lots of room for analysis on like what what is the artist saying here. Whereas in cartoons, you know, especially for children's cartoons, their their whole plot are typically finished by the end of every episode. And that's by design because kids in America, they're worried about their attention span. If arcs carry across multiple episodes, kids might not remember it. Uh, they may not get it. Um, so they design a lot of cartoons to have their plots completed in a very short period of time so that kids can grasp it. Mm-hmm. That is not the case with anime. <laughs> and, and furthermore, while there are some loose happy-go-lucky, I would call them very campy themes that you can often find in most cartoons, like The Little Mermaid and The Land Before Time, mm-hmm. comparing those to the the super deep <laughs> themes of something like Akira is, like, incomprehensible. Like, you, you talk about, you know, you talked about the moment where the character Tetsuo is, uh, his body is 
transforming and his he's like he's ex his physical being is expanding into this you know anatomical flesh whatever like it monster is. that's taking just taking over yeah like anything the, around him right and and the thing that's interesting about that is that you know when you watch the scene that we're referring to in the film you know he has wires and uh bits yeah. of technology that are literally a part of his body mm -hmm. that also grow with him as he as he kind of expands into the scene and you know i think when you look at what Akira is saying and how it reflects what was going on in the 80s, the 80s was a super interesting time in Japan. You know, from an economic perspective, it was probably the height of Japanese economy in the last 100 years. They had never seen anything like it. The middle class was wildly uh, 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 wealthier than, than ever before. Technology yeah. played a huge role in it, and it was changing society. This was really the come up and height of the post-World War II Japanese era uh, where the economy was so great, in fact, that, uh, you know, between the 70s and the 80s, I think there was like 25 or so anime films that were produced in the 70s, whereas in the 80s there was 250. Like there was a, just an explosion of art and, and uh, uh, you know, technology and so forth. And what's interesting about this is... Akira, I think, represents this decade really well because the Japanese were grappling with do they think this new um, kind of advance in technology from a civilization, from a cultural perspective, is something they want to champion. And many people were rejecting the advancement of technology because they felt that oh. it would be their downfall. It they felt that it was changing who they were. They were losing themselves uh, as they relied more on technology and machines to do things instead of people. And it was such a cultural change that it was often met with resistance. And so hmm. there's an element of that. There's also an element when you study defeated nations – on their perspective of conflict. So you look at these explosions in New Tokyo, which are a common theme. This this theme of destruction is consistent throughout all of, of Akira. It's 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 actually something that I find to be consistent in a lot of anime. You know, in in uh, a lot of American stories and cartoons, usually the heroes do their best to keep damage to a minimum. You know, I think the the biggest example where that wasn't necessarily the case was like in Marvel, for example, was the Battle of New York, where there was a lot of destruction, and that actually got brought up a lot of times in the Marvel universe as a failure, right? But mm -hmm. in something and in anime, they usually gloss over and quickly just accept that there is widespread destruction, and they move past it really quickly, and it mm -hmm. goes just right over people's head as though it. It didn't happen, even though there's an acceptance that it did. It just doesn't bother people. So there's a really cool, for example, a really amazing shot of a massive Titanic-like ship that's just mm. impaled into the top of a skyscraper, uh, for yeah. example. Where they're like, there's quite literally no better visual to be like, this city is fucked up. Yeah. It is destroyed. This bomb that destroyed an entire city has decimated everything. And... and how they have no choice but to accept it but realize they can still come out of those massive events of destruction. If you think about it, yeah, that's present in Akira throughout the whole film, but it's also present in a lot of other anime. They just move past it like it's not a big deal. Whereas in America, we'd be like, whoa, this is a failure. Like, you didn't stop it from happening. And that's mm -hmm. kind of like the, the comparison I was trying to make in the beginning where you compare something like Star Wars to something like Akira where the goal is to prevent that from happening. In this case, they're just trying to survive. Like if you follow the two main characters in Akira, they're not in control of what's going on really the whole time. They are a victim of their environment and the, the plot, right? And at the very mm -hmm. end, you know, you, you find out what the, what the result of what happens with um, – Tetsuo and Kaneda, who are the two main characters here, you know, what their fate is, but they're just a victim of the damage and destruction and, you know, what's left, right? So I think yeah. that's 
actually like a really interesting comparison between what you will find in Western cartoons and Western media versus something like Akira, which I think really highlights what was going on in Japan and also like how people are coping as a society through the aftermath of World War II and the atomic bomb. I think, um, I don't really know how to connect it, but the thought that I'm having here too is like when I'm thinking of Tetsuo, you know, it almost felt like his main reason for being a villain or his main reason for taking power and feeling power and, and loving it comes from, you know, always having to be saved, you mm. know? And I was like, I wonder what, I, I don't know, but I'm like, I wonder what layer that has to things of like, I don't have to wait for anybody to save me. I'm going to save myself or like, you know, well, I, you know, in the, in the re in the realm of their victims of their situation and they're just bystanders, you know, like I wonder the, if him having this power is him feeling like he has control over something, you know? And, um, sorry, that's just something that's coming to me in hearing you speak too. Um, because I just think his character is so interesting. It's always interesting when you, you really, I mean, we loved him in the beginning because of course you do. And then, you know, you, you find a way to really feel for him and he even kind of starts to feel like, you know, this is not it. This is not it. But I think that idea of having control and having power, you definitely see that in the most um, ugly way through his character. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I also think that, like, one of the things that I love thematically besides their the permission that they don't wait for to explore these themes of destruction and these clearly relevant feelings that they, they as a society are still grappling with post-World War II and, uh, like, the, the, the clear you know, comparison to the atomic bomb it yeah. is just the, the way that they express the grotesqueness of the imagery and the violence. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I think that new anime watchers, when they w- start to watch anime for the first time, one theme that they will often find is how desensitized it almost feels to violence and blood and, and, and things like that, where those things are often just censored here. We don't often, even when you think of like the biggest superhero battles that you see, you don't often see pools of blood, limbs coming off, guts all over the floor, um, and they don't warn you. It's not a slow progression into making you comfortable seeing that. It's just, it's like a shock and awe campaign where you're just expected to be ready for it. Yeah. I mean, even like, you know, I think I'm trying to remember when we start to really realize that something is going on with Tetsuo. And I think for me, that's, if I can remember it correctly, maybe I'm forgetting the exact um, flow of the film or the order. But when he's in that hospital, that's not a hospital, but it's like they're doing science on him and... You know, they they put his body through the uh, sort of, like, coder thing, and he's, like, on this... I don't know if it's a coder thing. I'm sorry. Like, it's a sensor where they're doing different tests on him anyway. And then he's, you know, trying to sleep, and he's having all these, like, nightmares of, like, the teddy bear and the glass and... And all of these, like, weird images are happening to him, and no one really understands why. And we're watching him also not understand why. And... That, that for me, like, because the thing with the teddy bears, so creepy, right? How, like, the teddy bear is, like, small and, and comes up next to him. And then in the next thing, it's, like, a huge teddy bear. And it's, like, suddenly the room is melting around him. And then all of a sudden there's glass everywhere and he's bleeding. And it's, like, I don't know. For me, that's one of the first, like, really jarring kind of things for me of, like, whoa, I don't know what this world is. I'm, like, I'm very concerned right, for this person. Either he's on drugs, I'm on drugs, or I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really interesting, too, because I think what Akira does well is the two male characters juxtapose really well. They both obviously come from very similar circumstances. I think they're 
kind of just um, a product of their environment growing up. Not, you know, neither of them really have parents that are taking care of them. They're both delinquents. They're both biker in a biker gang that, you mm-hmm. know, with each other. And yet, like, they uh, and they're both not, you know, shy uh, from violence. But the mm-hmm. paths that they take throughout the film diverge farther and farther away uh, as the film goes on. And, you know, you learn that Tetsuo has this latent power and they're, the government's holding him because they want to understand that power. And scientists think that learning about his power can unlock new mysteries of science and build new machines. And, you know, and then he kind of figures out this power and starts killing everyone to go figure out who was the originator of this power, whose name is Akira. That's why the film is right. called that. And and then in his path to discovery, he kills lots and lots of people. The government tries to stop him with the army. He destroys and obliterates everything. And then at the very end of the movie, he can't, even though he's been warned throughout the film that he's not going to be able to contain his power, in fact, doesn't. And then he becomes the Big Bang. <laughs> Long story short, <laughs> that's what Akira is about. He, be, he creates a new universe, essentially, from himself. It's complicated. It's beautiful and uh, just such a unique story. I think that, like I said, I think that one of the, one of the things that Akira's success also brought about the industry, and I don't think this is really talked about enough, um, at all is that the company that was spun up in order to license Akira in America became the same company that originally handled the licenses for Dragon Ball Z, One Piece, Bleach, Naruto, and a lot of the major early, early franchises. I don't think that they did Pokemon, but um, I'm not actually sure. They might be, but they they became the company that held the licenses to a lot of the shows that in the 90s and in the early 2000s mm-hmm. um, enabled anime to grow to what it is it is today. So if it yeah. – quite literally, the, the, the company founded off the back of the success of Akira in the movie theaters here in America. If it wasn't as successful as it was, that company would not exist and we may not – have ever been exposed to anime uh, as soon as we did with the certain titles that we grew up with and the and the uh, at the depth of different uh, franchise titles we were able to explore that infrastructure was really laid in the 80s and early 90s that paved the way for anime to grow in America so I think it's actually rather sad that Akira is not at the common tongue of what anime watchers today discuss Mm-hmm. Like I said, I think it's because it's a little older. But to your point, the animation is beautiful. It's clearly drawn, hand drawn. It's mm-hmm. clearly, it clearly was an animation leader of its time because it's amazing. I mean, it's it's got Pixar fluidity. It's even incredible. to their the movements of their faces. You know, like the yeah. way that they're speaking is is so not like just picture 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 it's like you're you're really seeing them like they're like you can see their face grow from a smile to a frown to anger like you can see all those very human expressions happening you know through animation uh, one in of this the videos, film yeah absolutely and, and one of the videos i watched and I, I don't remember exactly how many frames per second i think it was 12 but it was yeah. Um, one of the analysts was saying that it was double the traditional amount of frames per second that a typical animated film had at the time, and so in many ways, I think it was it rivaled, if didn't, if not surpassed, the mold of what even Disney was putting out at the time for some of the stuff that it was that it was putting out. I mean, it is it isn't just cause for me, it isn't just the frames per second. It's also the detail that they put in all of the things that don't necessarily matter that due to budget mm-hmm. and timing, you would just kind of gloss over and you'd say, like, let's not look at that. The detail in every frame is so incredible that I'd, it's impossible for you to see everything on your first watch. It just is. Like, yeah. you, you have to watch it multiple times to see all the little animation that they do because they're so precious with it. Um 
And yeah, it's just really, it's a really cool story. It is. I mean, I think one of the things that I find very interesting about it too is like, I don't know what it means again, but the the chill the old looking children right that like because so, we talk about anime and kids I think every podcast and I was like this you know even though even though our our two main characters are both younger boys I would say like you know still finding themselves the the children that were a part of these like child experiments through the time that had these powers you know and and Akira them, themselves. You know, they also kind of saved the day, <laughs> which I was like, let's go kids. Like, you know, but they clearly have so they are clearly like the movie portrays the lead kids as the wisest beings in this world, I mm. think. Right. I, I, correct me if you didn't get that same thing. And I just think that's interesting. Right. Because I think a lot of times when we talk about anime, we talk about it through like them telling these stories or and especially when you talk about shonen right but telling stories through children and through their you know come up whatever that may be how they're seeing the world and so i just thought that it was interesting that also like damn near the key to all the mysteries we have here are held within these kids and like they know exactly what to do when it's kind of like going south or, or maybe they don't know right away but they kind of look at each other right and they they go like mm, yeah so the only way to do this is to sacrifice ourselves, and then they wind up doing it. I, I don't know exactly my commentary on that, but I think it's, I mean, I think it's beautiful. Like, I think it's just interesting, um, and I think it's worth noting. I think it's worth talking about. I don't know. That's something yeah. coming up for me. Kids hold a lot of power in the, in the film. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and you're right. I think that's a consistent theme in a lot of anime, that there's something about youth that, holds a lot of power in every situation. And I think here, even though the main characters were in their adolescence, the kids themselves held a lot of power and contributed a lot to the plot. In fact, saving the day. The interesting thing about that too, is that even though they were children, they were old. Yeah. Because, uh, and, and just for context, what I mean to say is, and the kids were referring to were also other, clearly these were other, um, Beings. victims of government experiments oh, oh, and yes. the reason they looked old is because you know it's, I think it's kind of implied that after years of being experimented on their their youth had vanished and they looked like ghosts mm-hmm. um, and and so even though they were children they were older and, and, and I don't know maybe that was a play on like showing that the vitality had been sucked but also maybe it's to in the eyes of the audience, maybe us envisioning kids as adults enabled them to have that power in a way that was more digestible. You know, like the the maybe. colonel respected them when the, yeah. when the little girl was like, "This is what's happening." The colonel was like, "Okay, that's what's happening." If you say it, you yeah. know, like so. I think was... I think that there's right. I think that, like, to your point, I think that was so interesting, too. Like, the relationship with the colonel and those kids. Like, he was really like, these are my kids. And and he believed them. And I'm like, I feel like a lot of times, at least in maybe cartoons that I've watched, like, that's that's not happening. Like, the adults are the adults, and the kids listen to the adults. So I think that is a really interesting perspective. I I also think... um... Well, one thing I didn't know about Akira going in, though, is that the film only uses the source material from the first volume of the manga and the second half of the last one. And there's six volumes. Whoa. So there's a lot of plot and storyline that's completely that's... absent from the, from the film. Um, which makes me actually want to go read it because I haven't read it. Yeah. And I don't know why I've never watched the film. I think... Even myself, I'm a victim of just not watching it because it was older, which I'm rather frustrated myself because I've watched a lot of anime from the 80s and the early 90s, but I just I just never got around to watching Akira. Uh, I studied about it a little bit in a class that I took in uh, an undergrad, um, an anime class that I took, but I, I just didn't watch it for whatever reason, and I regret it because I think, I don't know if you felt this way, but after watching it and seeing like 
visually how incredible it was thematically i'm like holy crap this is historically and just contextually so rich uh mm-hmm. and also the plot was dope like the movie was just really good too i was like mm-hmm. fuck this is i didn't expect it to be that good i didn't expect it to be that impactful on me i expected yeah. a good movie i did not expect it to be like whoa there's a there's a lot here and i regret not watching it i don't know i i think like for me too and again i don't know how i've known about akira or like how i know yeah. of it or whatever but maybe i just have that imagery of the motorcycle and the poster and yeah. and me and al watched it together me and al my boyfriend and had we, he seen it no so he hadn't okay. seen it either and and i'm getting to that right because i was like what do you think it's about and he was like or or i was like oh i have to watch like akira like like do you want to watch it right now we have this afternoon together and he was like oh yeah that's like about that's like the one with motorcycles right and i was like yeah it's probably like it's about motorcycles and that was like all we had <laughs> like that yeah. was it we were like oh yeah it's it's got like the motorcycles it's probably like about a motorcycle gang okay cool and it's not about a motorcycle gang. Although I do like the use of the motorcycle of like, you know, Tatsuo, uh, Tatsuo being like, I'm just going to go get it myself now that I have all this power. Like the motorcycle was like a symbol in the movie, but it yeah. it's not about motorcycles. <laughs> well, remember, I think we talked about this when we were talking about, um, oh God, what is the anime with the, with the, um, Though you know what I'm talking about, where they go back in time. Um, uh, oh my god, you were reading the manga after Tokyo you know, Avengers. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Tokyo Avengers. I don't know why I, I always forget the name of that, but mm. um, motorcycle gangs were on the rise. Oh, at that the, time. Yeah, like yeah. the you know the the hairstyle, the pompadour, the the motorcycle gangs. You know, like I said, this movie was packed with themes that the Japanese people were pa- were unpacking. The the mm-hmm. presence of motorcycle gangs out in the open as though no one was doing anything about it. The the rise in crime, right? The eighties was the, the, the decade of cocaine. Uh the the um massive uh wealth and corruption in capitalist society and how that was changing things. The rise of technology uh, you know, all of these different themes were really present in Akira and, you know, so to an average, you know, viewer of the film, you may not contextually recognize that, but, you know, and to be fair, we are really diving deep and analyzing the film, but you don't have to do that for everything you watch. Still, I think it brings a lot more depth to, to the film and, and it's just really good. It's just really good. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we should probably talk about Angel's Egg, which is yeah. a uh, jarringly different <laughs> film, I think, <laughs> than Akira. Um, yeah, so I guess in terms of Angel's Egg, I'll read IMDb's description like Ali did for, for Akira. Uh, Angel's Egg, a mysterious young girl wanders a desolate, otherworldly otherworldly landscape carrying a large egg i think in terms of plot um there is this story is in terms of like what factually happens is pretty straightforward there's a girl she's Mm -hmm. she awakes in this world she's carrying an egg she meets a guy uh, there, uh, they start walking together. He, she, you know, she leaves her egg behind while she goes to grab some water, and then she's like, "Oh, thank you," and then she keeps the egg, and then, you know, they talk about the world, uh, and then he smashes the egg, and then she dies, and then after she's really distraught about the fact that the egg has been killed, and then the movie ends with him staring out on a beach, looking at a god-like mechanic egg that rises from the sea and watches uh, as a statue of this girl is now attached to this thing and floats off and then the movie ends with a panned out view of the world there they were originally standing on there you go that's the whole plot what is not interesting about this film is necessarily the plot although maybe in hearing that that sounds really interesting this is clearly not a dialogue driven film 
No. <laughs> this is no. There's probably fourteen sentences that are spoken the entire film. It's not even a page of text. Yeah, I'm sure. And it's it's about like an hour eleven, I think, hour and eleven minutes, yeah. something like that. It is a clearly stylistic film. This is not one where if you're interested in a sci-fi action... Like, Akira is action and plot and just a whole bunch wrapped in one. This totally. is n- not that. Not that. <laughs> it's very stylistic. <laughs> so I, I respectively think that, speaking. Yeah, respectively speaking. Not yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, it's, not, it's not that. It's still super interesting especially after you read a little bit about how people analyze this film because it is not inherently obvious. Now, I am not, for example, a particularly religious uh, person, uh, especially, um, well, I would say I'm a spiritual person, but I am by no means a good Christian scholar. I don't remember everything that I learned about the Bible when I was a child and went to Bible school or Sunday school or whatever. Uh, it is clear throughout this film, though, that there are they are exploring religion in some capacity and like reality in some capacity. They even in the minimal dialogue that they bring up, it is positioned as. What is reality? And and he even ta- – like one of the lines that he has, he talks about Noah's Ark. And so clearly there are biblical messages that are built into the story. But not so clearly are all of the symbolism and, and also the background of what's going on with the uh, director when he created this. How, did you catch any religious symbolism or themes when you first watched it all the way through? I – I'm for context. I watched it today. Like I just with my schedule, I watched it today, and yeah. like not inherently. I don't think I tried to like look up some stuff about it, explaining it afterward. Um, but no, like I don't know. I bet it's there. I bet if I had like watched it not while I was also like making dinner, I could have gotten stuff, you know. But like, yeah. So. If super stylistic films are not your jam, this is probably not the movie for you. Um, But I'll speak on some of the things that I learned about after watching it and being uh, sort of like, what the fuck is this? I think that that was your takeaway from Akira. That that was my takeaway for Angel's Egg. I was like, what? To be clear, sorry to cut you off. No, yeah. To be very clear with my take was I watched Akira and I was like, what the fuck? And yeah. then I watched this, and I was like, okay, what the fuck am I watching? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, continue, please. No, yeah. It, it, it's, the art style is stylistic. You know, what's, what's obvious when you watch this film is that they clearly did not care how popular it was going to be. No. Um, they didn't, like, make this for a person. They made this for the sake of art. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's very, you know, there are no rules that it follows that like, you know, there's not even really like beginning, middle and end. Like, like there's no, like, like, I guess there is, I guess there is. Like with if the I had breaking. to, yeah. I yeah. mean, but I'm like, I would be like, that's the climax. <laughs> like, I don't know yeah. if I'd be like, yeah. But in two minutes or less, there are three big themes from a religion perspective that I think are really interesting. So one is like this conflict with the egg. So the the guy in the story and the girl in the story, they're there from beginning to end. The guy carries around a staff that is symbolically cross-like, right? That's fair. That's so fair, yeah. And um, one of the things that I see often in in an analysis of this film is that – the girl carrying the egg being surrounded by water constantly throughout this film. She, like almost every scene oh, there yeah. is some element of water. And and in Japanese culture, one of the things I've been reading about is that water is often associated with feminism, like femininity, coming of age. 
and so forth. Uh, a, 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 like a rite of passage into womanhood, a, 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 a aging transformation, but from a feminine perspective. And when you... Um, and even the concept of like where she puts the egg, she puts the egg under her dress, like where her stomach is as though she's carrying this living, this living thing. Um, right. And where it gets like really jarring and like very uh, uh, nuanced is the analysis that like when he smashes the egg with the cross, this like phallic object that is smashing the egg and she's you know devastated by it she in fact eventually dies after like not being able to handle the shock of it she Mm. falls into water and when she falls into water she sees an adult version of herself right in the reflection there's this notion that she has her 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 um uh, um, I'm not naivete, but her um, like youthfulness. Yeah, like uh, what is it's not youthfulness you. either. You know what I'm trying? Purity, I'm not her pure. Purity, like, ah, yeah, like her. I know what you're trying to say. You know what I'm trying to say? Adolescence. Um, yeah, like her yeah. her childhood demeanor is shattered. Like she has mm-hmm. that youthful naive you know, whatever is, is gone now once the egg is smashed and, and she's become a, a, a woman. And, and when she dies, like, it's like the story of how she, be, you know, that's what it's symbolically trying to say. I um, get that now. I get yeah. that now. Yeah. And I like, I, oh, and like also that, like, you know, her, uh, innocence, that's what the word is. Her innocence is shattered. If you oh think about God. like the egg not only represents, like you know the coming of age but it like also represents like her faith she genuinely believes there's something living in this egg and he's like no that's just a wind like there's nothing in there and when and she firmly believes something will come from it and it's it's her duty to to take it to wherever it needs to go to make that happen and when it's destroyed her everything that she believed in is just broken so that's when her innocence is just gone. And then that's why when she falls in the water and she dies, she sees a reflection of herself. Um, so that's one theme that I, or one or two themes that I thought was really interesting. The other is also something you would never notice when you first see this, but the concept of Noah's Ark and the story that he tells about the dove um, diverts from the Bible in the sense that in the Bible, Noah sends a dove to go find like land and the dove brings back a branch, thus indicating to Noah that they found a place in it is safe to disembark and there's earth to, to come back to. His story in this diverts from that and that the dove never comes back. Uh-huh. And so when you look at the space they spend a lot of their time in in the latter half of the film... They're mm-hmm. in a arc where animal skeletons are all throughout, almost insinuating that they never left the ark. They died there, and that's where they're oh. at. And then the last pan out version, the last pan out scene that you see in the film, if you go back and watch it, it starts by looking at a, like a shore. And then as it zooms out, it looks like a piece of land. And then you start to see, oh, this is a piece of land in the middle of the ocean. But if you when it zooms out all the way, it almost looks like a capsized, flipped-over boat. Not land at all. That exists wow. on a body of water where there is no land. So there are clear religious, particularly Christian themes that are explored here and you know you can watch other analysis and watch the film but the truth is when you first watch it you would never know that unless you really knew your theology and really understood christian symbolism and knew the story of noah like the back of your hand like i didn't even catch that the story diverted from the bible i I did not catch that no um so uh yeah, apparently it also explores the concept of uh, 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 reincarnation as well because 
when they when he sees that they both have memory loss. They're like, yeah, I don't know why I'm doing these tasks. Yeah, I yeah. Where I come from. They don't know their name. He sees that tree and he's kind of like, uh, there's like a scene where they're going into the ark and they see this tree and he's like, I've seen this before, but I don't know where. These oh. like memory lapses are a common symptom of people who believe that they've been reincarnated. They just, they remember things about their past lives, but they don't because it's their past lives. And then on the soundtrack, that's kind of confirmed because the music that's played underneath is, um, it, it translates to the word reincarnation. I forget the the actual word that it is. Um, mm. But lots and lots and lots of underlying themes. Here's the reality, though. If you're a casual casual film watcher and you watch this through, there's zero, like, there's no way you catch these things. No. And Definitely furthermore, not. Furthermore... Even the first five minutes of the film, if a child were to watch this, they would walk away. It's not. It's so stylistic. There's nothing going on. And the whole time I was waiting for drama or some plot heavy thing to happen, some internal conflict that was going to just turn on. I was like, where is this going? Mm -hmm. And it really only happens when the egg gets smashed. The plot is pretty obvious, but the themes, now that, like, you know, as you explore the themes of this film, it makes it a lot more interesting. But when you first watch it through, you just never know. I have questions. Yeah. So, uh, there's a whole piece of this where there are, I, so at first I was like, these are the only two people in the world now. Yeah, after yeah. Whatever happened. And then we know that's not true after we see the people, like, trying to fight and capture the giant fish. Fish, yeah. The giant fish are not real. They're, like, shadows. Or no. So the other thing that makes this film interesting is, like, you never know what really happened or didn't because it's not clear that they're alive or not. It actually, it looks as though they're not. So one of the things that I saw an analysis done was that that was meant to represent the conflict of man and that they're often in pursuit of things that may or may not be possible. And conflict is inevitable and it's cyclical. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they will attempt to uh, uh, work towards conflict even when it, it will never bring about any change. But conflict is inevitable. So when they try to... That these statues of soldiers was um, something that happens early in the movie and then in the middle to Ali's point, they start to move and they start chasing these fish that look like they're in another dimension, but also this one. Um, so this is this supports the narrative that this film is about questioning reality and also that maybe they are uh, being reincarnated. Maybe they're, this world is a manifestation of like humanity and what is real because they actually ask these questions of like reality and so forth in the dialogue too yeah and and i think the reason sorry the just the reason i asked that was because about like i don't even know like 10 or 15 minutes in i already started to like look because i i was expediting the whole experience for myself obviously i was like i'm quickly watching this we have the podcast so i was expediting it so i was already looking up things and and one of the quick things i saw was like oh you know, like, this movie is about faith. And and now, understanding from your perspective, like, faith probably meaning religion, when I just heard faith, I was like, oh, like, how people have faith in things. How, like, the literal act of, like, having faith in something. Hmm. Right? And so when I was watching it then, or, like, you know, taking it in with the, that thought, I was like, oh, well, of course, because this girl just again to your point like has no idea but it's just has faith that she is supposed to do this thing and i was like that's so beautiful and then these people where i was like oh i guess they just have faith too that they're supposed to like hunt these things and i think it's said that they never get them yeah is that said it's said that they never get them that's kind of what i meant by like yeah face this thing that's that like inevitably will never succeed but one of the but this is also a Christian symbolism too. So I I didn't know this, but uh, one so one of the other themes in here is that they both have tasks. Like she's collecting jars of water and putting it places. Like that's something that she does throughout <laughs> yeah. the film. It's that's so true. weird. And he his task is to just like roam and figure shit out. He doesn't know where he started or where he needs to go. He's just like on a fucking journey. And 
and and that isn't too different than the way in the Bible God tasks people with going about their lives. He assigns them a task that ultimately leads to their discovery of faith, which is consistent with what happened with Jesus. In Jesus's case, it happened when he was um, baptized. That's when he goes, that's when Jesus kind of awoke to his purpose where he was like, mm. I need to bring faith to the world. And one of the things that Jesus wanted to do in the Bible was he wanted people to become preachers of God. And so one analysis I read was that <laughs> the fishermen are symbolic of that because when Jesus said, I want people to come become preachers, these fishermen, in other words, fisher of men, bringing them, reeling them in to their purpose oh. to become preachers of faith. I know it's a long shot. It made a lot of sense when I read it. But I really had to go there because I was like, how do you connect fishermen with preachers and Jesus? Like, how does this work? But but there is verbiage in the Bible that is used to describe it in this metaphorical way, that they were fishers of men, reeling them into the word yeah. of God, helping them find their, their path, uh, uh, helping them realize their path, right? And in this case, the fishermen are fighting with reality that does never is going to be achieved. Anyways, that's why it's a question of faith. Uh, that's what they probably meant by a question of faith. Yeah, it's so symbolic. There's zero chance you fucking catch this unless you're studying theology. I would never have no. known this without extensive research after watching the film. Like, potentially, what, like, film critics? But I feel, I, it's hard to say with film critics. Cause sometimes I read reviews of films and that critics write, and I'm like, you just... Yeah, I, I, absolutely missed it. But like, you know, people that I, I guess like people that study film. Yeah, I would be interested to see if they went into this blind, what yep. their takeaways were. Yeah. So one one of the things, the other things, and this maybe will round this out a little bit that I was reading, which sure. is really interesting. So this director, by the way, also did Ghost in the Shell, which is like woo, so good. Classic cornerstone story. Everyone should see that if you're a fan of anime. It's super good. At the time at which he created this, and by the way, apparently the um, cr the director almost chose the path of becoming a minister. Like he was interested deeply in religion uh, before deciding to become a director. And in fact, even in Ghost in the Shell, there are biblical elements of it that are present throughout the plot. Um, but when he created this film, he was at the height of conflict with his own faith. He was struggling between his faith and reality and the, you know, just, and this came from that. Yeah. Um, so it's just, <clears throat> it's just interesting. Like, um, when you, this film becomes 10 times more interesting when you have all of the context. The if lens, you are yeah. Christian and you, yeah, and you could pick up on those things. This film, I think, becomes something completely different. My mm. biggest takeaway, though, no child is watching this film all the way through. No. And most importantly, no child is watching this and is understanding, oh, I get it. This is a, uh, a reflection of all of these super aggressive themes, these biblical themes, these questions of faith versus reality. It's, it's really just about the paradigm of life and whether or not it, reality is real. No child is understanding no. this. No. Um, so, you know what? That's my answer. Yeah, you answered it all right. The <laughs> question kids, on everybody's mind. <laughs> why are adults watching anime? How are you a grown man watching anime? Well, because as a small child, I, A, would have been traumatized by some of the themes seen in some of these things, and B, would not understand them. Yeah. And quite frankly, as an adult, I'm a pretty well-read individual. I actually know a decent, general, acceptable, non-scholarly amount about religion. Didn't understand a fucking thing about this film until I read up on it. So I – that's my answer is like these two movies are really wonderful examples of what like anime can be and also how great – 
some of the stuff that came out of the 80s is. I'm just rounding it out here. But, yeah, yeah, these two films are really interesting. Uh, In terms of rewatchability, I think Akira had probably rewatched Maybe I would watch it again just to, like, (laughs) look at it again through the lens of these things. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, like, Christianity and the question of faith versus realism isn't something that I find myself really jonesing for. (laughs) So I may not rewatch that one, but uh, yeah, those are, but for some people they really like, you know, more stylistic films. So if that, if that is the case, this movie is perfect. for. I think definitely if you're looking for an experience, it's always, it's always fun to shake things up. At least, you know, like I'm someone who I like to watch all kinds of things. And I think it's always, especially in movie format, it's great to just shake things up sit down for two hours and watch something and, and figure out if you even like it or, or if you hate it, then turn it off or whatever, like whatever it is, you know, like I, I, I am always a, a big um, cheerleader of just, just try something new. You might like it. Just try. Like what's the use of, you know, not trying. And, and I think like I, it's this one it, it, to not shit on angel's egg because I, I did, I did definitely think it's fascinating, you know, like it's only an hour. Yeah. Like, chill out, zen, get what you get, and then, like, leave and go about your day. Like, go get a boba or something, you know? Um, I think this, de- doing this, I was supposed to be doing this exercise. Doing this this activity or this idea was, was really fun because now I'm a little bit more into, I mean, I have to watch more anime movies, for sure. Like, I'm not well-read on anime movies, um... And I think that there's a lot of merit to them because you go on this journey and you get to see something, you know, different or magical. And and the greatest thing about anime is that it is animation and so many of the completely unimaginable can happen. Like Akira yeah. makes no sense. And I would never want to see that live. <laughs> you know, like we, we say this a lot on the podcast. I would never want to see that happen because did it you know would that? absolutely traumatize me that they tried to do that. No, they did. Yeah. They made a live action. Akira. Wait, they really made it. Yeah. I thought it was a train wreck and they were like, ah, we can't put it out. I don't know if they put it out, but I know that they like, it was in production. I don't, I've never seen it. Uh, so I don't know if it was actually released, but I think that it does. I think it exists. I'm not. I'm not fully sure. Well, let's forget that real quick. Let's forget <laughs> you ever said that because I'm sure it's not good. <laughs> I'm sure it's not good. Uh, but this does make me want to go watch other movies, especially from the '80s. You know, this time that it to your to, as you've been you know saying this whole time is so exciting and you know the golden age of anime. You know, this is this is a huge turning point, and I think that it's worth delving into more of what came out during this time. I agree. I think say. the only other thing I would add to that is the cool thing about these movies from the '80s is that these were truly pieces of art that did not have to conform to or to pander to mass audiences. So they took yeah. so many risks with these films with no care as to how people perceive them. And because of that, they're amazing. Totally. And that's obviously not the case with like the way studios work today, where things are produced for a profit and for mass audience appeal, and they will make sacrifices to do that. And that was not the case for either of these films, especially mm-hmm. not Angel's Egg. <laughs> <laughs> especially it's good. Not. Like you should see it, especially if what we talked about interest you, uh, interested you, but uh, it's not, you know, Endgame. <laughs> like, hey, yeah, no, it's not. It's not, um, folks. I hope that in listening to this, we, you know, maybe inspired you to either, you know, if you're an adult that's never watched anime and you found yourself on this podcast today, by golly, go watch Akira. Go watch, you know, some that some movie that came out in the '80s. You know, maybe maybe you'll see that this is for adults. If, just as much, if not more, for adults, you know, yeah. than anything. Um, you know who we are. I have been a Green Queen. And I'm a Binge Monster. 
Find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, as you know. You know, find us anywhere. Talk about your, tell us, to, talk about us to your friends. If you're on Apple Podcasts, rate us and leave us a review. Um, I think you can do that on Spotify too. But if you do it on Apple Podcasts, I know for sure it helps the um, the algorithm there. Um, we're also on socials, so you can find us at our anime show on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. We are alive and well on TikTok, folks. I'm having so much fun. Me and Gio are making TikToks damn near on the daily. Uh, we're putting some sound bites up there, but a lot of stuff that you don't really get in the podcast. You know, a little bit more of our our, our personality, our hot takes, um, a little bit of our creative side. So go go find us on TikTok. Gio's got one right now that's damn near going viral as far as I'm concerned. Gio has a, a, a nice hot take on there. Yeah. I didn't realize it was so controversial. Uh, I pissed off a lot of One Piece fans this week. That's all I'll say. And no, don't tell them why. You have to go to TikTok to find you gotta out. Go you got to go to TikTok and see it. <laughs> Folks, this has been a Green Queen and a Binge Monster. Thank you so much for listening. And talk to you later. Bye. <laughs>